They say, and, and, and of course, the industrial engineering says, yes, how much time were you spending? How much time are you spending? It all works out. But the frustrations are real. And the frustrations are baked into the yep. architecture. They're baked into the system. And they will learn over time that it's their next step is going. They're going to have to move to some other system that, that offers tighter integration, preferably full integration. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. A warehouse is a critical component to drive operational efficiency, especially if your company moves a lot of goods. The warehouse is also the area which is typically the start of the automation. And if you operate your warehouse without barcodes, it might take forever to deliver the goods. Also, with ASRS systems and robots, the sky is the limit with what you could do to treat the warehouse the way it deserves. But without the foundational information architecture and connected systems, it's very hard to gain the efficiencies you expect. Sometimes poor implementations or poorly connected systems cause implementation failure of large robotics or ASRS systems. What do you need to do to make sure you have a solid foundation for your warehouse to automate your warehouse processes? In today's episode, we invited a panel of thoughts functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss warehouse information architecture. We covered many grounds including stories related to the information architecture for warehouse processes including Wi-Fi availability, interactions with 3PL, the need for robotics, and the number of sites. Finally, we discussed how newer technologies such as multi-shuttle systems, AMRs, and drones that can cycle count are driving the need for refined architecture. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. For today, we have a very exciting topic called Warehouse Information Architecture. So we are going to be spending a lot of time inside the warehouse. So we are going to dig into that. But before that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. And now I am going to ask Chris to introduce himself. Hello, I'm Chris Garadini, president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. We're a 27-year-old Microsoft Dynamics ERP implementation partner. So we deal with warehouse and distribution all the time. So looking forward to the conversation today, everybody. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Jeff, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thanks, Sam. And great to be here. My name is Jeff Lim, president and owner of Portable Intelligence. We're developers of warehouse management systems, uh, focusing mainly on the manufacturing space. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Jeff. Chuck, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yes, sir. Hi, everybody. My name is Chuck Coxhead. Uh, I am the Director of Sales and Marketing with ProSensus. And in short, I create warehouse superheroes. We use mobile and wearable technology to integrate with your warehouse management system so that we can make the workers that you have faster, more accurate, safer, and more tough. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chuck. Mike, I'm going to ask you to introduce uh, next. Well, glad to be here. Hey, Sam. Hey, guys. Um, my name is Mike Schlagnoff. I've been in manufacturing since 1979. Probably makes me the oldest guy on the panel here. Uh, my, my, I work right now for uh, as a consultant for manufacturing uh, for an insurance company. And the reason we interact with warehousing is inventory, accuracy, uh, recalls. So it's very important for us that we have traceability in warehouse that our customers uh, transition so that we know what's going on in their warehouse if anything goes wrong. 
Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Mike. And Kevin, you are joining for the first time. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, first time. Thank you, Sam, for having me. Um, Kevin Lawton. I am founder and host of the New Warehouse Podcast, which is focused on all things logistics and warehousing, obviously by the name. Uh, also worked in the warehousing industry for about 10 years now. Uh, during the day, I'm a assistant plant manager for a company called Rab Lighting, uh, working in the New Jersey Distribution Center. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Kevin. So we are going to dig right into the topic with our stories for today. And that is going to be a story related to the warehouse systems and warehouse information architecture. So Chris, I am going to ask you to share your story. Sure. I appreciate that, Sam. And so, you know, as, as I share some comments on warehouse architecture, you know, there's yep. this simple to more complex. And I think as, as you understand your business and, and again, as we move up that scale in complexity, the architecture is going to vary. From the simplest examples where we've got a small organization that just needs to manage inbound receipts and picking and fulfillment, and they want some automation, a lot of times the architecture is an extension of the, of the ERP platform more in the form of data collection, where it's not really a full warehouse system, but it's just an extension where we're completing transactions with a mobile device in the warehouse. And a lot of people think, hey, it's warehouse management 101. Okay. And as we move up the scale and we go back to architecture, we get into complexity. And so if you think about warehouse behaviors and activities going on in there, and again, single site, multi-site. So the architecture changes where we could have an ERP system that's lightly extended to the point where we need a full WMS that's that's part of the ERP to the point where we evolve to an architecture where it's a dedicated ERP that's built by warehouse specialists like the other four gentlemen that are on my panel today. And then there's an integration between the ERP and those warehouse systems. So, and again, as you get into multi-site where you're moving between facilities, managing facilities, and whether it's central site and replenishment to subsites from central site, again, you're going to understand that complexity is going to go up and the architecture of the warehouse system is going to change from maybe an extension of the ERP to a complete system that's dependent on a lot of integration between the ERP system and maybe some other other platform products. So maybe you want to build some more on top of that and talk about how the warehouse complexity is going to grow across the industries and also based on the size of the company. So obviously multi-site sure. is great, but not every manufacturer is going to have the same complex warehouse. So do you want to touch a little bit on that? Sure. And I can continue on that. And so as we look at just, you know, warehouse operations, the, the size of the warehouse, again, there's a lot of logistics in terms of infrastructure, in terms of wiring. I have a customer building a 360,000 foot warehouse right now, yeah. and they move 14,000 packages a day. And most people said, okay, that's a lot of velocity. And yeah. velocity is the word. So as we move up the scale and we start looking at, well, what does that mean? Do we have less human intervention in that process and more automation? What's that mean? Package move, they're automatically scanned because they walk through a, an, an IR type of scanner. So as we think about architecture, are we using RFID? Are we using things where no people involved? Um, yeah. You know, even in this context, it's the, the picker goes, can I put my hand out? And it puts the product in my hand, I put in the box. They're building that type of stuff. So high degrees of robotic automation. So again, architecture to support robotics. If you think about the engineering in this particular facility that got to witness the template for, it's profound. And again, you're thinking, wow, 14,000 packages. I wish I did that much per day. But you yeah. think about how thin that process and that latency has to be to move efficiently and, and stay on type of task. So there's an example as we climb into almost the stratosphere of pick packs in just a single location from that perspective. A lot of infrastructure behind that and, and uh, just physical infrastructure as well as uh, electronic devices and technology. So okay, amazing. Head, Thank you. heading in the right direction? Yes, we are definitely are heading in the right direction. Thank you so much for that. So now, Jeff, I am actually going to move to your story. Do you want to describe your story in terms of you know what you have done for the warehouse architecture? What kind of business are we talking about? Yeah, so whenever we start a, a warehouse project and we're working with the manufacturer, we're, we're cognizant of the fact that there's going to be likely an ERP in existence or even another WMS system of sorts that's working there. So what, so we respect that architecture or respect that data set, but we look for basically five buckets of data when we start a new project. The first is transactional. You know? yep. The second bucket is reporting. Third bucket is in-process alerts. The fourth bucket is static data. And the fifth is analytics. Most ERP systems have the first four in plenty where they kind of fall down now. It's around analytics, helping to build benchmarks, standards, do expected versus actual analysis, and you know just plain labor efficiencies. So how we get those data sets is highly dependent upon where, where it is in the ERP and how we process it. So for example, if we're processing transactional data, 
chances are it's going to have to be pretty available to us. So either we need to have unfettered access to that in the ERP, or we bring that data set across ourselves. Whereas static data like employee, warehouse ID, we recognize that we probably only need an update every so often. So that could be brought over in, in batch mode. So the architecture of where we're pulling that information and the architecture of how we're going to access that information may be totally different. So we're very conscious of how we design the back end of our systems to support quick acquisition, quick pickup of those data points to support whatever we're doing on the handheld or, or in front of the screen. So as they say, form follows function. And how you design your, your form totally affects how you deliver that function. That's an old architecture say my daughter studies it. And we're always arguing about building A versus building B, which is nicer. It always comes down to function, which is the function. And that's why that building looks the way it does. Yeah, amazing. So in this story, do you want to provide some more context in terms of the business? You know, what kind of business are we talking about and yeah. how the information actually flowed across different systems? Sure. I mean, so if you take this concept and we've got a manufacturer on the floor who's doing work order issuing, right? He's issuing materials to a job. First, we've got to get a work order. So that obviously will likely come from the ERP system itself. But now we're issuing materials to that work order. And that those materials typically will come out of the warehouse system because you want real-time data. So fundamentally, we're working with the data set sitting, sitting over in the ERP where we're reading and validating that work order number. And then at the same time, we're issuing those materials to the work order in real time and depleting the inventory accordingly. And we might also be picking up trace information. We might also be looking at whether or not this particular part has been assigned to the job itself. So on and on it goes. And how we wrap that transaction and ensure that it updates the work order correctly is highly dependent upon where we're accessing that information. So in that real-time environment, we have to know that we have quick access to that data. So if we can't rely on the architecture of the ERP to deliver that, for example, that work order information, then we may end up pulling that across so that if there, so that if it's so that way it's readily available for us. Whereas the inventory, of course, has to be readily available to us from a um, access view, access viewpoint. So that if we're issuing, say, 10 items of this uh, of this part to work order, we have to make sure that there's 10 items in the actual inventory itself, or we run the risk of running that inventory to a negative, and that creates all sorts of problems, such as the need to create alerts in the system that, hey, we're now out of inventory, and we better go do something about it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Jeff, for uh, that insight. So, Chuck, I'm actually going to move to your story. Do you have any specific story that you might be able to share and maybe talk about the architectural differences across uh, micro-industry as well as size of the companies as it grows? Yeah. Yeah, I sure do. You know, and, and as I've done these things and as we've had these conversations, we so often we think about the larger systems, we think about the larger companies. Yep. And, you know, I'm working with one of the largest food producers in the world right now for a massive SAP EWM implementation. Yep. And, um, you know, but that's actually not what piques my interest. What piques my interest is a little e-commerce company that, I, that I'm working with. And, they have so it's it's an age-old company the, the the and their boom business is booming for a small company they're, they're a hobbyist company with all with a strong e-commerce presence and a retail presence yeah and what they've done is they've gone up to you know a thousand lines a day which for a small company is is huge but oftentimes they're a little reluctant to get into a significant investment so they've decided that they need to invest in a WMS system because they're not really getting the kind of speed that they need. They've decided mm -hmm. that they're going to invest in mobile hardware and they're going to upgrade their factory, you know, back to the latency comment that Chris made a little earlier. You know, all these things are foreign to them and they don't really get it. But they're still hanging on to their ERP system and they still have a disparate e-commerce system that's worked for them for years. And so the information architecture that these smaller companies and this one in particular is up against is that disparate system with APIs. And they're yeah. literally having to write the hooks themselves. And this is a tremendous challenge. Again, when you think about the large, if you're running SAP, okay, yep. or you're running Microsoft Dynamics, or you're running whatever system, and you plug in a warehouse management system that's designed to work with it, that's all taken care of you by the, you know, some of the greatest professionals in the world. Yep. But this is a 
of really prevalent reality. And then architecture is really tough for them. And so they're finding, I just love that, you know, that Chris brought up latency because they're finding that's the biggest challenge because they're going out there and all of a sudden they're saying, we're expecting all this great new productivity. And they've got this shiny new device and this great barcode scanner. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden there's just <laughs> transaction speed and the thing is spinning and spinning and spinning. They say, and, and, and of course, you know, the industrial engineering says, yes, how much time were you spending? How much time are you spending? It all works out. But the frustrations are real. And the frustrations are baked into the yep. architecture. They're baked into the system. And they will learn over time that it's their next step is going. They're going to have to move to some other system that, that offers tighter integration, preferably, you know, with, uh, you know, full integration so that it's nearly instantaneous. And they're, they're really struggling. They have improved, but the architecture is a real bottleneck for them. And it's a family-owned e-commerce company selling hobbyist materials with tens of thousands of SKUs. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about some of the problems that they are running into from the business perspective? Let's say if these systems are going to be disparate in the warehouse, uh, what are they facing at this point of time? Well, one of the things they're problem with, honestly, is the employees. Let's get right there. And yeah. believe it or not, it's not the warehouse workers. It's not the uptake of the users. The users are loving it. It's the people who don't trust it. It's the folks in the back office, the salesmen who say, I still want you to pick all my old stuff because I'm the Amazon sales rep. I want you to pick all my old stuff on the old position. So, so but that's not the topic of this. I mean, but change management is always an issue in these implementations. And, and yeah. you consultants out there know this. And, and our warehouse manager here, you, you folks know this. But the problem they're having really comes down to, is the information getting there in real time and is their inventory changing in real time? Because in, this, in the peak season, you know, fourth quarter, that's when they start running into rapid fire issues related to inventory. They're each, each bin each, that they have may only have 25 to 250 pieces in it. But of course, on the more popular ones, how yeah. quickly is that inventory getting updated? You know, clearly it needs to happen in as close to real time as possible. They've gone to the WMS, but almost all of their business is e-commerce, okay, and retail. So they may take a retail order, but they're still pulling from the warehouse because they may want to. The warehouse is only a mile and a half down the road. And so how quickly is that all getting updated? Because they have these disparate systems and they have this this lag. So the latencies in the warehouse and the mobile transactions with WMS, that's one issue. Now yeah. they have the latency of inventory updates because unfortunately, they're incrementally improving. They're only investing so much capital in a cautious manner in order to go forward. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chuck, for that insight. So Mike, I'm actually going to come to you. So in your experience, obviously, the manufacturing company that you had owned I don't know if it was primarily job shop or something else, but typically when we look at the manufacturing, they are probably not going to have as heavy warehousing needs as compared to your food and beverage business or you know FMCG business. So in your experience, when you design, let's say, the system for your companies that you have experienced, do you see any sort of you know need for the specialized warehouse in the companies that you are experienced with? Did you have a warehouse component there? Or did you just manage with the warehouse system that was provided as part of the ELT system? Okay, let, let me step back here. Um, first of all, a lot of things that Chris and, and Jeff and Chuck hit, I, I'm going to reiterate because it, it falls into the warehouse. So first of all, looking at this from a manufacturing point, manufacturers make widgets. A warehouse is a necessary evil for them. They don't, they don't want it, but they need to have it because if I have to make a widget for you, Sam, I need to pull stuff from somewhere. So I have yep. to have a warehouse. So manufacturers, warehouse is secondary, but it's becoming the priority for them because if my warehouse isn't right, I can't make the widget, right? So that, then it gets into the next step when I, when I ask him is, what do you do in your warehouse? And, and I think uh, uh, Chuck mentioned it, 14,000 SKU numbers. I deal with customers that have 40,000 SKU numbers yep. for three different customers. But those parts use the same, say, a nut and bolt, say a quarter 20 screw. So that screw comes in three different parent or, or, or part numbers that go down. So when I pull that screw out of bin one, it depletes the stock for the other one. So that's where people, the manufacturer needs to wrap their head around they go into different products, but it, the parts for that final product is pulled from, and that's a big complexity that a lot of manufacturers don't understand. So you go in there and you got six bins of quarter 20 bolts, 
Yep. On my first question, why do you have six pins? Well, we used it in six different parts of my. So you're carrying six extra part number, adding complexity to your system, right? So as the company grows, the next step they're going to fight is now they have a big customer and that says, you know, I don't want to send you an order every day. Yeah. I want your system and your warehouse to talk to my warehouse. So when Chris ships e-commerce to, to, to items out, I get the order to make two more items. Now my system, the, the manufacturer cannot wrap the head around it. So for my thing is, I go back to what Chris said on the bottom. You know, there's, there's very little complexity here. And then as we grow, as we get new customers, as our part complex, the system doesn't go linear. It goes literally, I think, Chris, you did a really good curve, right? And that's where a lot of mid-size and small manufacturers struggle because they're not warehouse experts. They don't understand that. When you have a big OEM that gives you a great contract, so at the same time as you have to increase your warehouse space, your flow increases because they're pulling so much more. You also have to increase your warehouse. So for them, they need a system that they can still understand. So the complexity of the system is often too hard and they do not invest in the right systems. And they, they literally build little systems on, on, on they usually fail at some times because my 14,000 part numbers, which could have, you know, your booms of material, you got engineering booms, you got prototype booms, you got manufacturing booms, a bill of materials. Each department uses a different assembly set on the systems can't handle that. And then you go back, I think, Chuck, you talked about the real time. It's not there. And they're saying, well, I should have 15 pieces in the warehouse, but I don't have because the systems can't process it. So I create orders to build. Yeah. I don't have to stock in the inventory, or now we have stock outs. So does that give you a little bit of an example of what the smaller mid-sized manufacturing is up against? They, warehousing for them is not where they make money. They make money and making the widgets, but they need to have that flow to come in so that they can build that. Amazing. So let's say if I ask you to sort of, you know, describe the story for the manufacturers who might not be as advanced in their journey as, let's say, you were, and they need to know how they can plan for their warehouse needs and the architecture and the systems. So what would be your approach in telling them that, you know what, let's say today you might be at $5 million revenue, okay? And then you're going to go to 50, 100, whatever. So how are their warehouse needs going to grow as they grow? I think to, to, to answer that is you need to look at this and say it's not just the number of things that grow you know so you know you said five million versus yeah i'm gonna sell twice as many things it's also the complexity because the products get more complex if you look at a car today how many parts are in a car versus how many parts were on a car so they need to understand as your customer base grows as your market grows as your sales grow the complexity in your warehouse is probably eightfold tenfold of what you really see up front. Oh, I only made twice as many parts, but the complexity in the warehouse could be 10, 15, 20 times. They need to understand when they take an order, you know, when they partner with somebody, what is that, excuse my language, what's that rat's tail? What is attached to it? They need to have systems that can take your boom, your bill of material, translate it in, and then looking at this, oh, uh, uh, um, Sam has a couple quarter 20 balls. I already have them. I don't need to create new locations. I yeah. just need to up my stock and I need to keep that fluid. And that's where I think I help a lot of the customers I work with is realize this is not simple going from 5 million to 10 million. It's doubling. Your warehouse is, I don't know, Chuck, you probably have story, 10 times multifolding and then they fail. Plus at the same time, I, I have to back. We have a a shortage of labor force. So you need to, my advice is to them automate and systematize. My Chuck talked in the beginning, creating the warehouse superhero. The tools to give the people, you don't want somebody literally there on counting 10 bolts out because you just doubled your your, your sales. So you need to have systems in, okay, I'm weighing this as I take it out. My glove adjusts the number in the bin real time. So when that next order comes in, I don't know if I answered your question right, but you know, I get a little bit excited about this stuff. You sure did, and I am equally excited as well. Thank you so much, Mike, for that. Uh, okay, so Kevin, I'm actually gonna come to you. Okay, obviously you are gonna have probably a million of stories here, okay? And uh, because you are the podcast host and you are talking to so many different people. 
So now, you know, pick a story that you found really exciting with respect to system architecture. Talk about what kind of business are we talking about? And if the needs are going to grow as they grow in their journey and across the industries, how the needs are going to be different. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I kind of go back to something that Chuck touched on. And, you know, there's uh, I've worked for huge companies, um, but I've also worked for small companies as well. And I think the the small companies is really where you kind of get the most stories out of, I think, and the, the most challenges when you're going through this stuff, because like Chuck mentioned, you know, you're looking at companies that typically they're they're a little skittish when it comes to investing in new technology because the the resources are not as great as the larger companies right so uh, I've worked for a company as a cosmetic uh, fulfillment company and yeah. and they went through uh, basically came on board to, to onboard a brand new distribution center for them uh, and in doing so they went from I don't know technology of like the 80s they're picking on uh, paper to now moving to uh, a multi-shuttle system from Domatic, uh, voice picking, all these different things, like taking it you know, years and years and years in advance in like just a couple months. So very big undertaking um, and from a system perspective, a very big step from where they were. So building out the system for that situation was, was quite complex because they did not want to let go of their very dated system but they also needed to have some integration and some interaction to be able to utilize this, this automation that they were putting in. So there was a lot of, I guess, moder uh, modifications to the initial system to be able to make it communicate with the automated system from Domatic, the DIQ system, yeah. um, and be able to have that communication flow so that orders are coming in through their original ERP, which is, you know, Way, way, way old is uh, yeah. Prelude ADS. I don't know if anybody's ever even heard of it here. Um, but uh, so the IT team, thankfully, was, was very gifted in coding and stuff like that. And they, they basically rebuilt the whole thing. So at, at a point, you have to wonder, you know, is it worth it to keep the system like, or just upgrade to something without doing all this extra work to make something new work. So so there is those hiccups, I think, in, in building out systems when you're trying to to grow as a company. But obviously there's, you know, like Chuck mentioned, I think it's a huge sticking point is these companies, they're they're scared to invest in technology because they I think they have so much on on the line because they're smaller. Um, yeah. and they're not at that point where, you know, it's not guaranteed that these resources are are continually flowing in. But when they made the investment and they really got things running smoothly, you know, it, it really took their business to the next level. They were able to, to build out a, an entire e-commerce uh, business off of that um, and, and really grow and build things out and, and onboard people faster, uh, which, you know, Chuck knows all about bringing in the right right equipment and, and uh, voice, uh, visual voice scan and all those things that he loves. Um, so, you know, being able to, to bring that in, it, it really helped the training time uh, reduce significantly because before, you know, you're looking at picking on paper, uh, which is insane. Uh, please, if anybody else is picking on paper out there, please stop. Um, so uh, you're looking at it and it's just, you know, you have issues where people in their previous facility, uh, they were earning by the pieces they were picked. So they're getting paid by, by the amount they were picking. They get the paper and they see like, oh, not a lot of pieces. You know what they do? They they stick it behind the bin in a shelf and go say, oh, I picked it. And uh, they have no no idea that they picked it until it's time to like finally close out the orders for the day. And they go through and they, they can't find the order. And then they got to reprint it. Somebody's got to pick it again and, and they have no idea yeah. what's going on. So, so having that type of architecture in place not only helps the company move faster, but it also creates more accountability. Um, it creates better training times. It creates better better user interface um, for people to be able to adapt to the technology. And then it also creates a, just a better overall flow. And you, you're not um, running into those issues where at the end of the day you're scrambling because now you're, you know, you're you're running into these problems where it's like, uh, what, what's happening? And I have no idea until the end of the day when it's like, you know, crunch time. Let's get these trucks out. And now all of a sudden you're running around trying to meet your fill rate, make sure you got everything in place when you can put all these tools in place to really uh, solidify those processes and make sure there are no gaps like that. So Kevin, I am going to have a follow-up question for you. Obviously now we are talking about the real warehouse because that's where the technology complexity is, in my opinion. When you talk about all of the technology 
options that are going to be available uh, inside the warehouse. So one of the terms that you mentioned is the multi-shuttle. Uh, uh, do you want to break it down for the users what, what that is and how they can take advantage of that? Sure. So a multi-shuttle system is uh, essentially, it's, uh, let's see, how can we simplify this? So it's basically racking, like very uh, compact together. But what's happening is the movement of the material with going in and out of the racking is completely automated. So, so you don't access it by driving a forklift in there. You don't access it by bringing order pickers in there, deep breaches or anything like that to load the rack. What you do is you put it on, it can be pallet size, so you can put pallets on and it'll bring pallets through. Uh, and the multi-shuttle is, is an automated shuttle, basically. So it's a, it's a robot essentially on a guided track. And as you load product in, the robot will, based on whatever parameters you have in your system, it'll load up the, the racking situation accordingly. Um, so the one that we utilized was actually based on totes. Um, so it wasn't pallets. So we had small pieces um, and the totes would get loaded by a user. Um, they would get pushed onto a, a conveyor, uh, which is called the decanting process. Um, so they would load everything in the system, uh, basically assign it to that tote. So each tote had an individual license plate. And then as the tote went through, then the system would automatically store it where it needed to be in accordance with its velocity, um, so that it could easily be accessed again. So in this situation, and, and there's different situations, of course, to, to retrieve product out, you can either have the pallet come out and then, you know, you pick it up with the forklift, take it where it needs to be. Um, so it can be used for bulk storage in that sense. Um, but we were utilizing it for fulfillment storage as well. So, so we were taking our, our bulk storage, breaking it down, putting it into these totes, and then the totes were being inducted into the or it's like a big tower basically i'm trying to think how to visually uh describe this so so it's like a big tower and the tote would go in and you know it just gets lost there in the in the darkness of the tower um and it gets stored and then when an order comes through the system will call for that tote so it'll queue the tote up and the shuttle will know in what you know, sequence it needs to go and grab totes and bring them out. And there's and then there's multiple shuttles going throughout. And and I think the beauty too of multi shuttle systems and uh, ASRS is that you know it it takes super advantage of your space. It, it really gives you great space utilization because it's incredibly compact, um, but it has extreme density. Uh, so then on the on the back end, when it's bringing it out, what we had is a, is a goods to person picking station. So it would call for the tote, tote would come down the uh, tower, would hit the conveyor, and then based on you know where the, I think we had, let's say eight uh, picking stations, and each one had a, had a person at it. And so the tote would come to whatever corresponding picking station it, it needed to go to in order to uh, marry up with an order. So they would be picking six orders at the same time. They would have the boxes next to them. And basically when the, the tote came up to them, uh, they had a touch screen. It would tell them exactly how many pieces, what box to go to. Um, they would confirm it on the touch screen after they took the pieces, dropped them in. And then the conveyor would automatically push it over, send it back into the tower. Um, so then from there, it, it would move on to uh, our other picking area, which was, which was voice-based pick, because we had a, a few different um, types of skew mixes that we need to get married up for orders. Um, but yeah, the multi-shuttle system is essentially these uh, robots that are shuttling, hence the name, uh, throughout the tower, yeah. um, and, and retrieving material um, or storing material, whatever the case may be for, for the application. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin, for that. Uh, so, Chris, I'm actually going to come back to you for the one more story, and that is going to be related to different technologies that are available in the warehouse. And as you know, Kevin has uh, you know, mentioned a couple of them. Mm -hmm. um, so we are going to be discussing a lot more, and I think they also drive uh, a lot of complexity in terms of the information Absolutely. architecture because they, they, whether you talk about just the robots or ASR systems or whatever you are using inside the warehouse, they all need to communicate to your inventory, to your, you know, either you are using the Blue system or directly communicating to ERP. So what all have you seen inside the warehouse sure. 
in terms of the technology components. Sure. And as we move into that complexity, and so the, the project I was talking about where they're building a brand new facility, they're using that. And they also have um, the corrugated machine that makes custom boxes. So yeah. I, if you think about that, and their people have been doing the wearable technology forever. So so their goal with that 14,000 packages, they're building a brand new facility, donating the old one. But to that point, they got the box manufacturer, they got the robots picking, the people are just putting stuff in the box, all the labeling automation is there, you know, loading the trailers, even from receding and put away. So, so that facility has all those different things, even some arches if they're driving through and moving things. I've got another site that uh, is a manufacturer that's managing a million square feet. And so as we add to the complexity of the architecture, we haven't talked about EDI. And if you think about ERP and WMS and where does EDI come into play? And and these these guys are a, a shoe manufacturer. So they're doing millions of picks. They're picking individual boxes of shoes and direct to consumer, but they're big box sales. So it's all EDI in and out. ASNs. Right. And so if you think about these UCC 128s and the EDI complexity between a warehouse and did you pick it, what box did you put it in the labeling and bringing all that together. So you're adding a little more complexity in the architecture there between ERP, warehouse, EDI, and then all the in and out conversation. So throwing that in there, throwing the labeling in there, throwing the box manufacturing in there, a lot of moving pieces to have a very elegant, smooth, efficient, low latency um, just overall process, low human touch. I think that's that's a big aspect to it as well. So um, that's that's the stuff that I've seen. A lot of cool, a lot of cool stuff. So and again, but crawl, walk, run. Right, the little guys in the middle. Their problem is budget. They love it. I want it all. And actually, and I think that you know, one comment that was made is they got to know what they're good at. If they're not good at distribution, that's why a lot of those small companies will do a three PL because they're not going to be great at it. And you go back to focus on what you're good at. Um, I have another partner who uh, I work with. This guy just sold, they sold their whole warehousing system to a third party. So they were managing warehouses for about 80 locations. They decided that we're getting out of the warehouse business. That just kind of punctuates that. You've got to be focused. You've got to be really good at it. So I'll stop there. So, yeah. So I am actually going to have a follow-up question, especially sure. since you mentioned 3PL. So obviously yeah. when you have 3PL, your process complexity is not going to be as complex. But let's say if you are in some of the regulated industries where you are either you going to use, let's say, lot control or serial control, sometimes the process handoff could be trickier. Because let's say if you are in a frozen food business, you know, you are storing food at, at a 3PL, but then totally you know, how are you going to receive when you are going to put the information? So in your experience, let's say if you are working in some of these uh, regulated industries and you have 3PL in the mix, what have you seen in your experience from the information architecture? It, it complicates the integration. You raise a great point that warehouse systems do so much more than receive inventory and, and transfer and fulfill. They're in the middle of warehouse operations, right, or manufacturing operations, material issue quality, right? And material issues where we capture those lot numbers. So again, it adds to the complexity of 3PL because a lot of times orgs that take an order in, they're firing them back and forth for EDI. Yeah. The EDI transaction carry the lot information, the traceability through it, but you, you, you certainly add complexity to the integration requirements in a 3PL. Most of my medical device manufacturers do not use 3PLs to that point because they have so many checkpoints along the way just from pick, stage, quality, pick, quality again, and, yep. and completing that activity through there. And I think that was a point I didn't make. It's just the, the additional features and functions that warehouse systems are now expected to actually perform. So great point. Yeah, so very interesting perspective there. And I'm probably going to have this question for everybody in terms of utilization of 3PL, if they have seen that in case of your regulated industries. Uh, so Chris uh, you know, mentioned that in, in their case, they are not really using this for the medical device customer. So Jeff, I'm actually going to come to you. What kind of technology you are seeing and do you have any sort of response on Chris's story, whether you have seen usage of 3PL in case of deregulated industries? Yeah, it's a bit of an evolution for companies when they evolve to a 3PL because they'll often start in-house and have everything within their warehouses. Where we've seen uh, companies go to 3PLs is on the finished goods side of things. That's particularly in the case of manufacturers. Um, one of our customers was a major uh, manufacturer of, where, of uh, fireplaces and barbecues, and uh, they went to a 3PL model, uh, mainly because they support all the distributors across North America and around the world. Um, so that put uh, great demands on their ERP system, and, and in particular on our WMS, because now we're going to be uh, sharing data sets uh, to their third-party systems so that they can transact on their own devices as well as pick and ship. So it involves sending a lot of work, uh, let's just say uh, customer orders, uh, routing information, et cetera, uh, to, those, to those particular distributors and 3PLs. Where we are seeing a lot of um, new technologies being implemented in warehouses and particular manufacturer, 
We're working at a large um, automotive parts manufacturer, a tier one manufacturer right now. And their, uh, their, their problem is that they can't find enough warehouse workers right now. They're, they're booming, they're expanding. And right now, as we all know, warehouse workers are really in demand. So their challenge is how do they get more out of their existing personnel? And in this particular project involves pulling material from the warehouse to the production line. And so what we are in the process of implementing is a location-based services uh, WMS. Basically, we're going to be tracking the workers as they go through the warehouse. Uh, currently, how it works now is that all their workers are siloed to particular machines and departments, typically two um, material handlers to a machine. So instead of um, instead of actually having them assigned to individual machines, we're going to pool all that labor and then assign work to the workers based on the location, based on whether they have a payload on their forks, and of course, based on if they're available. And so by having that uh, location-based services information available, we're going to be able to fine tune how those tasks are allocated and in doing so better optimize the use of their labor. And of course the inventory turns so a line doesn't actually shut down because they run on materials. So that's a totally new data set, indoor positioning, indoor tracking that is alien to any sort of um, ERP system. So the question is how do you architect that? How do you design that location information to make the whole thing uh, work without uh, without creating a huge set of database issues and, and redundancies and, and, and basically be able to uh, provide the response. So that's been part of the challenge, not only creating a, uh, an interface and using that location data, but how do we store, manage, and actually um, you know, use that data to uh, do real-time allocation of tasks to the appropriate worker. But the bottom line is, is that they're gonna be getting um, huge payback on their labor because right now, you know, they're faced with having to hire probably three or four uh, more warehouse workers. But with the increase in efficiency, uh, we, by our estimates, they're going to be able to basically keep the same workforce, pool them all, and then be able to um, absorb the additional growth and additional lines they're putting in place. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that, Jeff. So Chuck, I'm actually going to come to you in terms of the technologies that you are seeing in the market, and obviously you keep a pulse on that. So you'll be able to talk about a lot more, you know, how many different systems are going to be siloed, how many systems need to be part of the main enterprise uh, architecture. And Jeff actually touched a point about the 3PL. So in case of finished goods, I guess the architecture is going to be slightly easier for the regulated industries, but let's say for the industries that are also getting the raw materials and they need to utilize CPL for that. I don't know what you have seen in your experience. Well, in terms of in terms of 3PL for regulated industries, let's not assume that that's an easy transfer for them to make. Yep. When you're heavily regulated and you have all this compliance that you have to accomplish, it's one thing to do it within, a, within an organization and within a single location. It's another thing to do it intercompany multiple locations yep. and it's yet another thing to do it intercompany or you know or i'm sorry intercompany intercompany it's another thing altogether to do it intercompany in that you have to maintain that compliance throughout the entire product life cycle from manufacturer to delivery and that can be a real struggle i will tell you I, i'm working with a company it's a mail order pharmaceuticals company and their technology is rather old because the risk to the changes in their system, to the changes in the process, they're so concerned that it will affect compliance that they're not quick to make that change. So, so they're bringing in a tremendous amount of heavily regulated products, pharmaceuticals of all types, you know, the ones that are all over the news. Okay. They're bringing all those in at very, very high volume and they're sending them out, you know, 30 pills at a time, sometimes less, but they have to be able to track that, regulate that, know everything that comes in, where it all is. So the moves to a 3PL is not quite as is not quite as uh, much of a dropkick as you would seem. But in terms of in terms of technology, I do want to touch on that. One of the things that we're going to we're spoke we focus on is the information systems and that sort of thing. One of the things we don't talk about is we don't talk about the communication too often. Yeah. And so when you're talking about the type of communication that you need to, in these high volume, highly productive, as Jeff said, you're trying to get more out of these people, trying to you know do more with your existing workers. That streamlined communication can become huge. And one of the differences, and it's actually a very simple one, you know, I, I have a brand new WMS. I'm moving into something cloud-based, okay? It has an HTML interface, okay? The old world, we had we had hosted things that were running, you know, Telnet, green screen, green characters streaming across the screen. We've moved to this hosted cloud-based situation. 
Well, those things are located in data centers. God knows where, hopefully as close as possible. Okay. But the, t the technology that communicates on the mobile, the mobile tech, by way of example, uses a totally different kind of browser. You're not using Chrome because Chrome communicates all the elements of that interface in a different way. It's, it's, um, it, it, it just, it sends, give me all of them. When I, whatever order I get them in, I'll put them all back together. The person will be fine if they wait. Okay. It's asymmetric. But in terms of this data exchange, that technology must be symmetric. First field in, first field back, second field in, second field back. Otherwise, you're sending the wrong characters to the wrong field and you have a very big problem. So that is a, and it's a, I won't call it relatively simple, but it's a relatively low level technology. It's an enabling technology that folks even know about. And there's a different type of browser. And so that's a, you know, I live in the mobile tech world. And, you know, I can go on about automation and robotics. I've been studying it for 35 years. But this is really where most of the implementations are going. So I just saw a study uh, this week that 57% of the companies have already implemented mobile technology. Robotics is 10 or 15%. So, you know, because the capital expenditure is more, the development cycle is longer, the lifetime cycle is longer, the learning curve is longer, et cetera, et cetera. So it's these less complex technologies that are getting implemented. So what are they doing? Well, honestly, they're just buying more computers. But you have to make people as productive as you can with those things. So I'm not trying to turn this into a sales pitch. It's not. This is truly the technology that's coming to make those people really, you have to focus on the worker as, as, as Mike said, and as Jeff said about the workers not being available. Um, we simply have to we simply have to make them productive today and the technology enables return on investment quickly it's 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 these simple technologies and that's reason why they're going to that because i can invest whatever number of dollars it doesn't matter what it is for a big company it could be millions for a small company it could be tens of thousands but i'm going to start delivering return on investment within days weeks hours months and so these technology the simpler technologies that are more common that my mom's carrying in her back pocket are actually more preferable because it makes the CFOs and the CEOs happy because they can begin to achieve their goals sooner. And that's their incremental progress. Then they go to automated storage and retrieval, multi-shuttle systems, as Kevin was describing it, robotics, autonomous mobile robots, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, that's really the state. It's really more simple technologies is where the bulk of the market is going right now. It's not the big things that we think about. Uh, when our brain immediately t turns on this switch. Hey, Chuck, you made a great comment that we haven't talked about. So imagine warehouse operations when you unplug the internet. And as we talk about architecture, yeah, well, you know, everybody thinks it's always on, but it's not always on. And if we do a cost of what's a cost to not operate, what does everybody standing around cost you per hour? Okay, so let's do the math. But as we talk about architecture, and I've got one client, and these guys make salamis. And so above all things we did is they've got, they're in the cloud, but they have an offline function here, which means that they lose their internet or they can continue picking and packing and catch weights and all that. And lives comes back, sinks. So again, it's an architectural consideration. You made that point, Jack. And I think people need to think through that is, can I still operate? How do I run my distribution business? Or does everybody stand around waiting for the internet to come back? So there's my comment on architecture again. I just want to emphasize what Chris just said on Chuck hit on at first is, you know, we, we, when we, a lot of times we go in, we automate it because the internet became to us sort of the, the technologies. It's always, that's always working on, on Chris. That's a good thing for me to think about it as a consultant. What is your backup plan? Right, you just automate this. You get this big ROI, right? You you're able to manage ten thousand parts through there. Your system accuracy went up. Your 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 pick numbers went up. All of this suddenly you have this glitch, right? I that's that is such a good thing to think about. It says how do you how do you function if that happens? You know, and we hear more of of uh, natural disasters. We hear of all of those things. You know, car hitting poles and whatever. That is, for me, a thought that I have not thought about it when I talk to our customers saying, okay, I, I can, we can build this system that gives you what you need, but I didn't think about giving you a backup system. And I, I learned something today by Chris and, and Chuck talking about this and saying, yeah, because Chris went immediately when the internet, uh, Chuck went when the internet is down like this, right? Yeah. Well, I, I just talked to our customers. This is what you need to do. Here's all the technology. Three three months, you're going to be in the in, 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 in the black, right? Well, internet goes out at three months. is not there. I did a bad job for them. So I just want to re-emphasize that point. When people implement systems, and, you know, just by Chris and Chuck, I think you're thinking about this, but I would recommend 
the people that buy in the system to ask that ask that question. What happens if? So uh, that was my comment to that. Sorry for. No, uh, I mean, I think, you know, if you want to address those questions as well, and that is going to be your experience with the regulated industries. I don't know if you have seen anything uh, in terms of utilization of 3PL, uh, whether they utilize for the raw materials or the finished goods. Uh, that is going to be number one. And what other technologies that you are seeing when you walk across the warehouses across industries? So the, your first answer, I have not had any customers in that regulated industry because my company stays away from the pharmaceutical. We have some food processors. What we see by them with the supply chain constraint, they're adding suppliers. On the salad that goes a half a salad from Arizona and a half a salad from New Mexico, go in this bag now that goes out. So the concern is now if one of the products is bad, how do we track that back to what? So that's that's something that we that we start seeing too by people mixing this from different suppliers because of the supply chain. So we have to really understand, I myself, how can I trace this back to the system? Yes, this is a pound of salad, but it came from four different suppliers because when you pull that, one shelf was empty, the machine, the robot will pull it from somewhere else and fill that order because it's the same part. Does that make sense what I'm trying to? So I have to really understand that and probably talk to system guys. Is how can I in that box even have that separation saying, here's the four or three products that went in. Now I can go back and find out which one is bad. And, and to answer the, the thing, the technology that I see, and I'm talking a lot about with the metal manufacturers and all of this. So we're talking heavier pieces, you know. So what I see a lot, and I think Chuck mentioned, is the AMRs, because they're so much more advanced versus an AVG, and AVG is on a track. Something happens, they can't figure it out. But the ticket on AMRs now is that the machine learning really from is coming up to, they actually becoming faster. And they realizing, yes, today from A to B, I'm, this is the fastest route. But then they communicate with each other and say, pull that data. So the AMRs itself pulling the data. Today, A to C was the faster route to me to get to this point because of something else happened. Somebody's moving around. We have foot traffic there. We're moving a shelf, whatever. So that's the technology that I see really in the, in the, in the people they are using more uh, the higher weights in the boxes that the AMRs and the machine learning is now being pushed to get it more efficient in the machine itself making the move, not, not leaving the human out, but can you get around this corner and, and pull 0.7 Gs without dropping your package? So the chassis are becoming smart, self-balancing, counter-rotating on the wheels, because now I can get around the corner at 10 miles versus six miles. Doesn't seem a lot for 10-foot corner, but if you have 100 times a day, 10,000 times a week that pass and you'll be two miles faster, guess what? You're saving time. You don't need to buy another AMR. You don't need to, your delivery, you can offer something to your customer that other people, hey, I can build that product in 17.3 minutes versus 19.2 minutes. I can make by the end of the day more process. That's what I'm seeing a lot now saying, okay, I got some technology, but I got to make it smarter. I got to make it faster because I almost, this is not a negative. I took the human out of it. I got this technology, but I don't want to reinvest. I don't want to buy a new AMR. So what technology can I add into this, can add onto this to make that technology last 10 years? You know, it's very expensive. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mike, for that. So Kevin, we are running short of time. So I'm going to give you three minutes and you are going to have two questions. What you are seeing in the regulated industries as far as the usage of 3PL goes and what are different technologies that you are seeing across the warehouses and what are going to be part of the, the main architecture and what can be siloed? Oh boy, three minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. So yeah, I mean, as far as the regulated um, side, I, I have not really worked in the regulated side, but I mean, I did work in uh, somewhat of a, a food company where we had regulations such as, you know, expiration dates and things of that nature. And, and we utilize 3PL and, and 3PL, you know, when it comes back to system architecture and things of that nature, we, we actually went through multiple upgrades of, of our ERP, switched from Oracle to SAP. And then we switched 3PLs, and when we switched 3PLs, the 3PL brought Manhattan instead of uh, the last 3PLs um, in-house system that they had. So, so there's a lot of complexity going on there, and a lot of communication through EDI and things of those nature. So, you know, it was it was very important that we were, uh, you know, making sure that we were understanding that 
the communication was flowing and, and if we had uh, EDIs airing out that we were understanding why and, and, and root causing that and making sure that the communication would flow because it would it would throw a lot of things off. It would throw inventory availability off. It would throw visibility to the inventory off. Um, so we really had to clean those things up and, and we had to make sure that things were uh, flowing smoothly. And this was uh, over a large, large network throughout the country. Um, so, so big, big deal um, in terms of that and 3PL and um, I'm trying to go fast here. I know I got a couple minutes. <laughs> Uh, and the second question was the technologies and whether they are going to be part of the main enterprise architecture or can they be siloed? The different technologies that you are saying, seeing yeah. in the market, you have already mentioned multi-shuttle. Uh, yeah. Some people mentioned AMRs. What else are you seeing? Sure. So I mean, uh, you know, we're seeing the AMRs, like everybody's saying. Um, we're seeing some autonomous uh, drones as well, doing cycle counting, things of that nature. We're also seeing uh, what else is out there. Um, you guys mentioned a lot of stuff. It's, it's hard to go last, you know. So you guys mentioned everything, all right? But a lot of things going on, um, and, and small things too. But I, I think some of the big things happening in warehouse technology are, are around safety as well. Um, there's companies out there like uh, Sierra.ai that are working on. Um, uh, collision avoidance technology, just like we have in cars for forklifts and things of that nature. Um, but in terms of can things be siloed, I would say no, never. I would never want to silo uh, because I think you know, it's incredibly important for systems to be able to communicate with each yeah. other, especially as you look at a lot of these technology providers, they're focusing on like one one task within the warehouse and automating that one task and, and uh, roboticizing that one task. But you have multiple tasks in the warehouse, right? So you, you don't want to be limited in the technologies that you can use. So I think you look at uh, something like Mass Robotics is doing these interoperability standards for robotic companies. And, you know, it's getting these robots to be able to communicate to each other so that it doesn't matter, like, what you bring in. Like, you, you can get the best fit for your company. Like, you're not... You're not kind of siloed in that now I invested in this one robot solution or this automation solution and, and I'm stuck. Now I can only work with other these like other three solution providers or maybe it's only two or one. So you don't want to get stuck in that sense. So so the silo now don't do the silo. I say I say let, let's keep the silos away. I mean, it doesn't work in terms of business processes and, and business departments within a company. It, it's ineffective. So I, I think it's the same from the technology front. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin, for that. So we are only going to take short closing advice, maybe one sentence. Chris, do you want to share your closing advice? Sure. As, as you plan your warehouse requirements, I mean, it's just that. Do your requirements today. Try to envision 18 months and try to imagine five years out. And again, based on comments here about labor markets, determine if automation's a fit. But you really need to understand how much of your revenue and margins allocated to the warehouse operations and servicing the customers so that you invest appropriately. Okay. Don't just think that's a lost or re there's a revenue source, but do the math right and plan accordingly and make sure that you can scale with whatever solution you end up with. Thank you. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Jeff, short, super short closing advice. Yeah, as you certainly as you grow your warehouse, you add more functionality. Always remember that you've got to have a proper architecture of your data set so that when you do bring it into the ERP, it's fully utilized going forward and it's and it's ultimately scalable. So just be careful and have always have a good systems architect when you're bringing on these additional feature sets. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Jeff, for that. Uh, Chuck, one sentence closing advice, please. Yeah, your Wi-Fi might suck. Too much is going to create a problem with roaming, and too little is going to create gaps. Do not forget about your Wi-Fi. You must get someone to help you. Love it. Thank you so much, Chuck. Uh, Mike, one sentence closing advice, please. What I learned today, internet is great, Bluetooth is great, Wi-Fi is great. Have a backup plan when you have a system down, because if you depend so much on it, that's one I learned, and I thank Chuck and Chris for that, because... I do this in the mechanical side, got all this backup, but not in the brain side. Thank you, guys. That was valuable advice to me. Backup plan it is. Thank you so much, Mike, for that. Uh, Kevin, your super short closing advice. Sure. We talked about automation today. Uh, I'm going to steal a little advice from my friends at the Raymond Corporation. And I say optimize before you automate. Make sure that your processes are solid um, and that everything is working uh, as flowingly as possible um, before you bring in automation, um, because as the CEO of Raymond Corporation once told me on the podcast, uh, if you automate a bad process, you're just making a bad process faster. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Kevin, for that. So that's it for today. If, on that note, I want to thank everybody for your time and insights. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Thanks. Good seeing, good seeing all of you. Have a great, great weekend. Yes, thank you all.
I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Jeff Lamb, head over to portable-intelligence.com. It's P-O-R-T-A-B-L-E-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-C-E.com. If you want to learn more about Chuck Coxad, head over to Presensis.com. It's P-R-O-C-E-N-S-I-S.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Gallardini, head over to TurnkeyTech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Kevin Lawton, head over to TheNewWarehouse.com. If you want to learn more about Mike Slagenhofer, head over to Acuity.com. It's A-C-U-I-T-Y.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Michael Pytel, who shares how he can create a far more precise digital twin of the warehouse by mapping warehouse workers in the system. Also, the interview with Kevin Paramore, who discusses the nuances of robotic automation of warehouse and manufacturing processes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.